myself off. <laughs> you might want to turn me down a bit. I feel awful boomy. Can you turn me down a little? Thank you very much. Helen and I are delighted to be with you for this Go Weekend. We loved the meal last night and the opportunity to eat and talk and catch up with some of you at least and find out where you were in the going process. And we were delighted to be able to share with you this morning and again this evening, both with us in the room and others online to whom we're waving this evening. You are a key part of many networks as a congregation, and you are key players in supporting what God is doing globally, I believe. I'm really thankful, again, for the opportunity to share in that with you, to meet Susie and Stephen, just a couple of the partners that you have internationally doing really strategic work for others to discover for themselves what it is to come to know Jesus and to follow him and to go with him. We came to Edinburgh way back in 1988 to be involved in a new congregation in Clermiston at the end of the 26 bus route, meeting in Fox Covert School, quite a, an unusual setting in those days, very common now in these. Eventually, we moved from that little plant to St. Thomas's Church on the Glasgow Road, which had done the planting. Our congregation, Emmanuel, up the hill, was based on a home group there. But it wasn't the first initiative that St. Thomas's had been involved with. If you can get hold of some St. Thomas's friends who were there at the time, and you had one or two of them tucked away here this morning, uh, they will tell you the story of the AGM. Now, I'm not going ahead of you. You have a meeting on Wednesday. It's not my meeting. I won't be here. I won't be involved. So I'm not giving anything away, and I'm not uh, trying to get in the way of anything. But if you ask them about the 1985 annual meeting, they will tell you some variety of this. The then rector of St. Thomas's was Dennis Lennon. He and his wife had served for some years in Thailand, and after about seven or eight years were just getting somewhere with their language when their health broke, and they had to come back to the UK. He trained to be an Anglican minister at Oak Hill in London. I met him when I was at Cambridge Tech, and he was on the staff of the then Round Church. And then, lo and behold, he came to Edinburgh. And he remembered that we'd met. So it was him that got us here. It wasn't he, me, it was him as well, as the kids sometimes say, don't they? But if you ask them about that 1985 annual meeting, they will tell you something like this. Dennis unveiled his vision to renew P's and G's church along at the other end of the city center. And he basically said simply this, if you live east of a line through Murrayfield, I want you to leave. And 70 people did. After a while, 
of course. Um, um, it was an exciting time. It was a fascinating time. It's a long story after two plants, St. Thomas's, where we moved to, was needing its own care and attention by then because it had given these 70 people away. It had given another 30 up the hill. You, you know how that feels. You know what that costs. The sending congregation, the letting go congregation, it's quite a thing to do. Those risk takers, those imaginative people, those big givers, some of them, they went into the city center. If you go, he said, you will go with a group of praying people, maybe about 30 of them, older now, but with real vision to see this church filled again. It's in a key setting at the east end of Edinburgh city center. And if you go, Roger Simpson will come from All Souls Langham Place and we'll see what God will do. Three years later, they did it again in Clermiston, and that's where we came into the picture, just six months behind your friends, who were then Barnton Baptist Church, now City Gates. Now, as I've said, your annual meeting's on Wednesday. It's not my meeting. <laughs> your lead pastor is here. I'm not your lead pastor. Don't worry. Who knows what's happening in that meeting? The Lord does. But I'd like you, as part of this weekend, to consider doing what Dennis asked people at St. Thomas's to do. <laughs> and I think I have Scripture on my side. These two readings tonight. For this weekend encourages us to think where and how we serve. That's the questions for this weekend. These are the questions for after the service conversation. Where are we up to in this journey of going and following where the Lord leads? And especially, how will we go globally? What will be our place in the global picture? What does it mean, we could say, to go well? Here's an image from the very large Presbyterian church in the center of Cairo. They have a mission team now, and they've been sending people for many years. There's energy to move on and to move out in the Middle East as well. I'm pleased to share that with you. Some of our headlines might give you the entirely opposite impression. Here's their conference backdrop from one of their partners' conferences, where their mission partners came for refreshment and perspective, where their supporters and friends came from different corners of the globe to declare their support and to hear more of what God is doing around the Middle East region. They have a membership of around 10,000. Extraordinary. But in that congregation, they've been choosing and sending people all around the region and now increasingly into Europe to help churches and agencies welcome refugees and migrants and reach out to them with the gospel. People on the move all over the world like never before and close to us as well. 
Angus led you through Luke 10 last Sunday. This is how they see Luke 10. Jesus sending his friends to go where he's going to be going in a little while. You can see a little sign on the left-hand side there pointing up. I hope you can read it. It says, Jesus' destination. So it's as if Jesus and his friends are in the light on the left, and his destination is to send them into the darkness to be his witness. Oh, of course, he has rescued them from the darkness in the first place and brought them into his wonderful light. We heard that at the very beginning of the service. But now he's sending us back into those dark places in his name. It's a remarkable vision. And their view is that parts of the Middle East, this is the time for this to be going on. Many pressures, many challenges, but many people eager to see, if we go, what will God do when we are on the move? Now, I admit some tension in this congregation. They admit it themselves. The senior pastor and the elders are trying to grow this congregation more and more, but prowling around in the background is the mission pastor, the go pastor and the go team, perhaps, in this world. Andy, Anna, and Sito wandering around, looking for the best people to send away. That's the equivalent of what was happening in this congregation. And of course, actually, I'm joking, you know, they were delighted to be able to send good people to follow the Lord, to encourage his people, and to equip them to reach out to the majority neighbors and colleagues around them. The visit of that same mission partner back in 2012, speaking from Genesis and Acts, was the thing that sealed our own sense of call to move from here, to leave the work I was doing with Evangelical Alliance in Scotland, and to go and to serve with colleagues in the Middle East. There are two dimensions to this going that we heard from these two readings. The first is, go Abraham. From Genesis 12, verse 1, that was on page 13. I mentioned already that there are many, many people on the move, many tracks for migrants and refugees, many countries struggling to work out, as ours is, how to respond to that. How many can we take? Where should we place them? How can we support them? When can we say no? More people on the move globally now than any other time in history, it seems. A movement was running in Abraham's family as well as in many of ours. Some of us have stories of movement and change that brought us to this place. Terah, we're told at the end of Genesis 11, his father made the first move from Ur near Nasriya, as it now is, the city in south Iraq. He took his extended family north 
On the way, he trusted to Canaan, as you can see from the map, to go from uh, Sumer down below Babylon up through Mesopotamia to Haran doesn't look like the best way around, does it? But actually, he was following the trade routes and the rivers, the safest ways to travel, the motorways of the time. And by going that way, the journey would be more straightforward. It looks like the long way around to Canaan, but he followed those trade routes rather than risk the desert. Once they came to Haran, we're told, now in southeast Turkey, something like that, they settled. Ah, they were moving and they stopped moving. They got halfway, according to that map. It's a bit like all those house programs when uh, we uh, get exhausted and just want to do nothing. We sit with our mouths open sometimes watching the house programs, the house makeover programs, or where can you find your perfect place in the sun, something like that. Call us sad, we maybe need to repent of it, but it is fascinating watching other people living their lives sometimes, isn't it? They use all kinds of interesting language. The perfect place. The forever home. Sometimes you see the name Dunromin. We found one somewhere in the northwest of Scotland. We couldn't quite work it out. Viseldo. What's Viseldo mean? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, perhaps it's a bit more realistic than the perfect forever home. Viseldo was the name of the house. We've had enough. We can't look anymore. We're going to stay put where we are. But in Genesis, of course, there's another story running. The family settled because the father had had enough. But God was still speaking to Abraham. Did you notice in verse 1? The Lord had said to Abraham. And now he says it by implication again to Abraham. Move, Abraham. Abraham's already a third culture kid, living cross-culturally, and God spoke again to build on the family moves that took him to the north. Go, Abraham, God says, from your country, from your family, your kindred, from your father's house, which gives you your identity, from your settled place to where I will show you. Trust me and move, and go. It was fascinating to hear from Susie this morning in her interview. These verses were the ones that encouraged them to move into the translation work they're doing in frontline settings just now. These words brought us to the Middle East as well. But they didn't come to us out of the blue, you may be wondering how this calling process to go and to move works. It sometimes comes like a flash of lightning, yes, but, but not often. It's usually a building up picture along the way. We just took a very long time to get to the Middle East in our mid-late 50s. I had a gap year in a blind school run by the Lebanon Evangelical Mission. In 1972 to 73, can you imagine? I know I don't look like that, but yes. 
And I learned one massive lesson from my experience in Lebanon. I am no teacher, not in a class setting, not of kids, and certainly not of kids with special needs. Helen's the teacher. Our friends are doing special needs all around the Middle East. If you're a special needs person, we can eat you up in a Middle East context. Please come and talk to us later on or one day soon. But I had that gap year, and boy, it was a struggle. Here was I at 18 teaching blind kids. It was crazy. But it also did something else for me. It woke me up as a Christian to go from here, from a sort of churchy background where I was learning, but I was kind of living a double life in the church and in the world. I had to go to Beirut to wake up as a Christian. And it was two years short of the Civil War. So it was getting pretty tricky. We nearly didn't go. But we did. And the Lord woke me up. I came back and I did geography and economics. How good is that when you're wandering around and when you're living in different cultures and having to make a, different, a living in a different way? I learned some management, not much, with one of the Unilever companies. Helen, meanwhile, was training and teaching primary kids. And we met working with UCCF all the while, wondering what's the next step? What's the next step? I trained for church leadership, went back to Bristol where I was brought up. We started our ministry in multicultural city center Leicester, one of the most multicultural cities in the UK. And then we came and involved in the churches here. And then, uh, with some reluctance, I was persuaded to travel around Scotland to work with the Evangelical Alliance, encouraging churches of all backgrounds and flavors with a biblical heart to reach out and to engage with our culture as well. That's all fascinating. It's all great looking back on it, but I think we realized we might have stopped halfway. We could have stayed there. But the Lord said, now, go on. Go and base yourself in Cyprus. Travel around the region with this small international interdenominational mission. And see what I am doing in the Middle East. And then go from Cyprus to Egypt. Base yourself in the church there. And still be involved in the mission agency. Don't be afraid to go. Be involved. Invest. For nothing is wasted in the Lord's hands. All those bits along the way found their place more and more for us in the Middle East. All those pieces of your experience up to now, all those learnings, all those trainings, all those giftings, some of you we met last night, gifted linguists already, all of those the Lord is ready to use. Abraham was taken by the Lord with all his background and all his skills. Who, and the Lord promised to use them to bless all peoples through him and his successors. And again, as we've heard, ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection and the pouring of his spirit and the opening up of the church community then and now. I suppose the surprise is Abraham waited 
till he was 75 before he started. They lived a bit longer in those days. He didn't die till he was 175. So in our numbers, Abraham was somewhere in his mid-30s probably. Left it a bit late, but got some experience. Abraham was also a pretty rough diamond, if you read on. He didn't do very well um, with uh, issues of loyalty, especially with his own wife. Um, he was a bit weak on courage, and certainly he had to learn about God's ways, sometimes as if from scratch. Yet as God called him, and as God promised for him, he led him and provided for him. I think um, the bigger surprise is in verse 5 of Genesis 12, when uh, Abraham goes, what does he take with him? <laughs> he takes everyone and everything. Have you ever been to a commissioning service or a sending away abroad and hear anybody deal with that in that context? Uh, please go abroad and please take everybody and everything with you. <laughs> Usually it's, oh, you have to leave everything behind. Or you can't take it all. It's fascinating, isn't it? We found ourselves uh, comparing diplomats in Cairo. They used to come sometimes to the cathedral from different nationalities. And we realized that when the Brits go to be diplomats abroad, they tend to move to furnished places that are already there. And they find themselves discovering all kinds of bits of colonial history or Egyptian uh, paraphernalia tucked away in the corners of the house or the flat. But they come just with their suitcases. Not so the Germans. They move to empty flats, bringing 40-foot containers. One lovely guy who was the uh, finance manager for the embassy came to us for a while, and they brought their whole Christmas room with them. When you went to their house, you were in the lounge, and then you'd go next door, and there was Christmas all year round with all that lovely German stuff that makes Christmas in the market here. They brought it with them. Looks like Abraham followed the German model. That said, of course, it is an open-ended journey, and journeys give good reasons to choose what you need and to leave stuff behind, and those of us who make many journeys have had to do that many times. What is it the downsizers say? Use it, love it, or lose it. Use it, love it, or lose it. That's hard to do. All of that to ask you, how is God building his call in your life, in our lives together? How is he continuing to speak, continuing to encourage, giving you a glimpse of other worlds, growing your vision for the global impact of the gospel and to find your place in what God is doing. Go Abraham and therefore go disciples. That's what Matthew 28 is all about. We fast forward to the Easter encounter. There's often two Easter's. This year we were traveling and we had Western Easter in Istanbul and Eastern Easter in Cyprus. We got two for the price of one. You often get two Christmases as well. Egypt was wonderful for us. You had Western Christmas, which uh, the Anglicans would take, and interestingly, the Sudanese probably. But then Eastern Christmas was for the Coptic Christians. 
And it was terrific. You had twice the celebration, twice the opportunity, and half the hassle. It was brilliant for us. Here, Jesus has been raised. He's been given all authority by the Father. And now he comes and assures his nervous friends in these early appearances. What he does actually down the centuries and across the globe as he encourages his followers to trust him in a world of conflict and confusion. He is in charge. You may be sure of it. One of the Egyptians' favorite images is of Jesus seated on his throne with the, uh, the, the scepter. We saw that just a couple of weeks ago in the coronation. And the word in his hand. Seated at the right hand of the Father in the position of ultimate authority, interceding for us as his people. You may trust him is the message. He is in charge wherever he takes you, however complex it gets. His friends were invited to come and see he really is raised and then go and tell first the other disciples and then everyone they can. Eugene Peterson's message says, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. Spread his rule over all nations by making disciples, people totally committed to the new community and to life governed by everything I have commanded you, says Jesus. What he started, we're called to continue in the power of his spirit. And how does it work as we go disciples? And he showed us at the meal last night that the real command here is not go, but make disciples. Go make disciples would be a better way to say it. This lovely brother, Sam George, who's a member of the leadership of the Lausanne movement and of the Diaspora Churches Network, picking up on churches moving across the world and clustering and reaching out beyond themselves, he points out that verse 19 isn't just go, it is as you are going, literally. As you go out and about, make disciples. That's the real command. As you're going about, because our God is on the move and you are following in his footsteps. Sam reflects, so many are moving they are reshaping our societies, our economies, our nations, our churches. Our frameworks are found inadequate to deal with it. But people moving is of the utmost consequence for Christianity as migrants and diaspora communities shape and reshape our growth and expansion. He warns us if we stay in our bubbles as the body of Christ, we'll miss out on what God wants to do in and through us. And later he reflects that uprooted and transplanted people make exceptional missionaries. I gather some Asian Christians say, if you're a Christian, you'll travel. And if you travel, you'll become a Christian. Nicely put. 
We're concerned about the environmental impacts, of course. But you get the point, don't you? Moving and mixing is gospel opportunity. God's way to grow us and His church. And this weekend has celebrated our eagerness to play our part, to find ways to meet and welcome and campaign for people who are coming this way. But the other dimension is we've been challenged to check where we are on the journey of faith that may take us into going from here. And when you go, you will be supported. Because we got involved in some of the Bible societies in the Middle East, when we came back and were based here, Elaine Duncan and her colleagues at the Scottish Bible Society were asking us, would, you, would I come and be their chaplain? Very part-time, just meeting with their team. And they've relaunched this year. Have a look at their website. See what they're doing. In Scotland, many, many homes have an old Bible somewhere, but nobody reads it. So they're trying to open up conversations, produce materials to help people engage, read it, understand it, apply it, and follow it. Share the Bible is their new thrust in this year. Share the Bible. I have one last reflection to share with you. This is all very well. But there are many challenges along the way. As we want to share our faith, we want to come alongside God's people here and in other settings. But sometimes we find ourselves overwhelmed by the size of the task. Those of you who are here this morning will remember what we heard about the number of language groups that still don't have Scripture amongst them. Never mind a lively, growing church amongst them. Matthew ends his gospel with Jesus' promise, I am with you always to the very end. Sometimes it is a long journey though. One of our friends learned language brilliantly in Egypt. So good that when he spoke by the end of his course, Egyptians were scuttling for the dictionary to work out what he was saying. He was speaking so clearly. He spent his evenings in the coffee shops talking religion. You can't teach Egyptians anything about religion. They know everything. And uh, he was talking about faith. It was so easy for him to talk. And it seemed he won every argument, but no one changed sides. No one became a follower. No one even seemed to be thinking about it. And he was getting more and more dismayed. And the pastor of that very large church you saw right at the beginning, all those years ago, this was 30 years ago, came alongside him and said, my brother, I'm so glad you're here. Your presence is encouraging your people. I'm so glad you've learned so well. Your Arabic is amazing. But I see that your head is down. And I want to tell you a parable. It's the parable of the sugar cubes. Imagine a box of sugar cubes, an empty box, and we place the cubes in one by one. They don't do that in the factory. They do it all much quicker. But he was making a point here. One by one, the connections that our majority friends have with Christians, 
with some part of Scripture, with something they see on a Christian channel, or something they discover on the internet, or some act of kindness and love by somebody from a church. All of those are sugar cubes. And one by one, you will see the box getting fuller. And when the box is full, those friends will be ready to consider following Jesus. Imagine what a relief that was for our friend. We play our part as God fills the box. I think at that point, when they're ready to consider following, we open up another box of sugar cubes, which is, what have I done? What does it mean? What do I believe now? Who is my community? Who will give me work? Who could I marry? All the questions that people from majority Middle East backgrounds will ask. And I think that what my friend learned in Egypt isn't much different from what we perhaps need to learn in our context. It takes a long time to fill the box up, doesn't it? Sometimes you have to empty it before you start to fill it. And then when you build it up bit by bit, you may play a part, and then someone else will play a part. And one day the box will be full, and then the Lord knows that they may be ready to follow him. Jesus says, as you do all that, I am with you. I will be with you as you do this day after day after day, says the message. Where could your next step be after this weekend? I know the GO team would be delighted to continue the conversations with you and to pray with you. We would love to have conversations too if they're to do with the Middle East or perhaps North Africa. And as you receive all the advantages of a congregation and a preaching team like this, where will you go to share what you have received in so blessed a way? Let's pray. Father God, how we thank you for Abraham and how we thank you even more for the way that you took him and used him for all his faults and failings. We thank you for the Lord Jesus encountering his disciples, revealing himself, equipping them and preparing them for their going about their life of ministry, making disciples. We thank you for this weekend and pray for your continued leading. In Jesus' name, amen.